America is the land of 10,000 choices. We can literally do anything we want. Almost at any time. I have this thing in my pocket. It's a, called a smartphone. I mean, I can probably get just about any movie that has ever been made to play on my phone while I'm sitting anywhere. I mean, really, Amazon Prime, right? Hulu, I mean, you know, like there's just more movies than you could ever watch in a lifetime that I could just get at any moment. So if this gets boring at any time, I mean, feel free to just pull out your phone and you can start watching a movie, okay? I can read a book. You know, I've got the Amazon Kindle app on this thing. I can, you know, I can read any news story from any, you know, news agency in the country, the world, all on my phone. I mean, apart from media and information, right, you can do anything. You can join a rock climbing gym in Newburyport if you want. You can go swim at the YMCA. You can, you know, do CrossFit and, you know, get ripped out. Um, there's, there's so much opportunity in America to fill our lives with anything that our hearts could desire. I mean, really, we, there's just, there's just no limit in, in for, for many of us. The question that I want to ask today is, uh, we're nearing our, the end of our series on prayer. Next week, John Prickett's going to be here and uh, share some words from what's been going on at Germany and the Engage the Crisis team that's been there. Uh, so we're, this is the end of our, our prayer series. And I want to ask what I think might be the most important question for us when it comes to prayer. And that is, what really is the value of prayer? What, it, what really is the point and does it really do anything? And I guess, is it really worth our time? Because we've talked about a lot of things when it comes to prayer. We talked about, you know, kind of praying for the nations when Elizabeth shared, about praying for the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. We talked about the foundational rhythm of listening prayer, not just us always talking to God, but actually having a two-way conversation, as Billy Graham describes prayer, where we're also hearing from God. We talked about um, the priority of intimacy in prayer, that that is really the the number one thing that prayer is about. We saw that in Jesus' uh, high priestly prayer in John. And last week we had the how-tos of prayer from Keith. Talked about, you know, praise and priorities and petition. Kind of the, okay, how do you pray? But the question today is, why should we? Is there a really good reason to pray? And is it worth, amongst all the things that we could be spending our life doing, is it worth spending part of our life in prayer? And I think that's the most important question because I think that's really what it comes down to when we make the decision of whether or not to pray. It's not, oh, I don't know how or, you know, what's really the priority with this and intimacy with God. I, mean, I think we know, uh, we've known a lot. Most of you have probably known most of the things that we've talked about these last few weeks. 
But the question is, is it really worth it? I mean, that, that's, what, that's what's subconsciously going on in our minds when we make decisions about our life. So we're going to be looking at a passage today that comes at the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has just uh, celebrated the Passover with his, his disciples. And then he's instituted the Lord's, the Lord's Supper, they, they, as we call communion. And then it's, it's really gets, gets tough after that point as you're reading through the Gospels. And so we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew today. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, and the words will also be on the screen. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 26. And to put you in the story, we're going to focus on kind of the middle section of this, but we're going to read through a, a pretty good chunk of this. So stay with me. I'll try to break it up a little bit as we go through. Uh, so Matthew chapter 26, this is just after Jesus and his disciples have had the Passover and they've uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper. This is Matthew 26. We're going to start in verse 30. All right, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Okay, let's stop there for a second. I want to first talk about the journey of the disciples as we look through this, this passage. The disciples have just had this, you know, probably incredible experience with Jesus. He washes their feet. You know, they, they celebrate Passover together, a very meaningful celebration for the Jewish people about how God rescued them out of Egypt. And then Jesus kind of takes it to this new level, and he's talking about all this weird stuff about how the bread's his body, and this, you know, this cup is his blood. And they're, they're pumped. I mean, they're saying, Jesus, we'll do anything. We're ready to fight. We're ready to die with you, right? Peter says, even if I must die, I will not deny you. You know, just this strong, we're confident, we're doing this thing. Jesus is the Messiah. I don't understand exactly everything that Jesus is talking about, but the disciples are coming into this with a place of extreme, I mean, confidence. It says all the disciples said the same thing. They're all on the same page. We're, we're in with you, Jesus. We're taking the world. And their expectation, I think Keith mentioned this last week, is that Jesus was going to come, overthrow the Romans, establish a new kingdom, a new you know, government in Israel, and throw off all this oppression. And they're saying, we're ready to fight, we're ready to die, Jesus, we're with you. It doesn't last very long. Okay, Verse 36, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, which interestingly, it means the word means oil press. So it's, it's on this Mount of Olives, and it was probably a place where they, they pressed the olives to make the oil. Interesting, though, symbolic significance of something being squeezed. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So we've started to see in, this, in the first paragraph a little divide between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus is painting one picture of saying Peter's going to deny, right? And they're saying, no, we're confident. And now as the narrative progresses, we see Jesus going to this place of, of incredible, uh, just his soul is deeply troubled, and the disciples are you know, probably you know, very legitimately exhausted, but are going to this place of kind of sleep. Jesus comes back to them, you know, encourages them to pray again. They still are not seeing what's happening. So for the disciples, in this moment, they don't understand how important this moment is. They're not, they're not seeing what it is that is really about to take place. But Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus has this interesting statement in the middle of this about, you know, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the disciples are, are feeling the weakness of their flesh in some way. They're not in the same line with what Jesus is doing. And so, you know, as I said, they're unaware. Now, let's, let's finish reading the passage here, if you, can, if you can stay with me for this last paragraph. So it says, while he was still speaking, that's Jesus, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. I mean, just incredible the contrast that's here. We just see the, the disciples move from extreme confidence to kind of this apathetic, unaware thing that's happening in the garden where they're not praying even though Jesus is full of sorrow. I mean, I'm sure he's just full of emotion when he's asking them to please just, you know, pray with me. Just couldn't you just tarry with me for an hour? I'm alone. I'm feeling so overwhelmed with what's going on. And then when the, when the crowds come to seize Jesus, they react, right? In this, in this way that they're seeing for what, what Jesus is wanting to do, what they see as what God's will is in this situation. And they attack. Right? In, in a violent way. Jesus tells them to put a stop. We know from other, other Gospels that it was Peter that struck the high priest here. We know Jesus healed the man. Amazing. As one of the people that's coming out to arrest him, he heals him on the spot. 
And then the disciples flee. They run away. When they've just said, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I'll do it. But what they didn't realize was that Jesus wasn't calling them to fight. He was calling them to surrender. It was a total game changer for them. You, you have to understand, I mean, in, their, in their mind frame, we're going to fight, we're going to take over the Romans, we're throwing this all off, this guy can multiply food, he can heal people. I mean, you know, anybody that gets injured will just rise them back from the dead. If this is an army, I mean, it's, it's impossible for us to lose this thing. But Jesus wasn't calling them to fight. He was calling them to surrender. So let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes. It's usually a good thing to do in church. His trajectory is the exact opposite. He starts from this place of knowing that he's going to be betrayed, knowing that all the disciples are going to fall away. He's going to be completely alone. And that leads him into this place of deep sorrow and trouble where he's alone and he, and he knows what's coming. And it's not going to be pretty. But as we see in this, in this middle section that we read, he, he goes to his father and brings up this, this incredible place of, of sorrow that's in his heart. And he comes out of it in this bold and confident place. Right, where he's saying, look, my betrayer's at hand. It's time. Let's do this. I mean, it's just an amazing 180 just in the middle of this section. Even to the place where he's able to heal the guy that's there to arrest him. He's so, he's so filled with the Spirit at this point. Because of what has just happened in this interchange with God. So the point of this and the answer to the question about, you know, what is prayer worth? Why bother to pray? I mean, what's the point of any of this? Is that you can't do God's will without God. You can't do God's will without God. Prayer is a way to say, God, I'm with you. I'm with you in this relationship. I'm willing to move forward, whatever it takes in this relationship. Without that, right, we cannot do what God is calling us to do. And so we see Jesus demonstrating this, right? This is the whole struggle that's in his soul. I want to read from um, the book of Mark. He really draws out this contrast. It says, going a little further, this is, this is in Mark um, 14. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You understand the impossibility of what he just said there? Jesus is not relinquishing the goodness of his Father or that God can do anything. He's saying, Father, all things are possible for you. Everything's possible. So if it's possible, because all things are possible for you, please let there be another way. You understand that the, the, the mystery that he's engaging with there? 
with the goodness of God and what he knows that God is calling him to in this, in this season. See, for Jesus, it's not a question of what's God's will. We often apply the scripture and say, you know, Lord, not as, as I will, but as you will. But Jesus knows what God's will is. It's just that it's really hard to do it. His prayer is all about, Lord, this is hard. Please help me to do this. The same thing is, is, is true for us. I think in a lot of terms for prayer, this is what it all boils down to is, is where we're at with God relationally. What is going on in our hearts with the Lord about believing that he's good and still engaging with the difficult things that he's called us to do or that are happening in our life? And Jesus is dealing with that disconnect that we all feel. I mean, I feel like I feel that every day. God is good, but this life is hard. And he's called me to something difficult, or this is difficult about it. And we see in the passage, too, a second thing, that there's, there's a definite progression in terms of what Jesus says. The first part, he asks, right? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then it says he comes back to God again and says, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. It's as if in this wrestling with God, that God's saying, son, I'm sorry. There's no other way. This is the only way that we can rescue the human race, is if you go forward with this. You see Jesus' progression into moving into that and the Lord strengthening him. In the book of Luke, it talks about, you know, that it's an, an angel was sent to strengthen Jesus. And I don't think that was just physically. I think it was, it was this spiritual, mental thing where he's just in this great turmoil of trying to reconcile that God could call him to this amazing horror, but also um, God still being good. Some people look at this passage. I remember I had an English teacher in high school that would, would love to just kind of jab and discuss. He was a great guy. His name was Mr. Souza, and he was actually a, a strong Catholic Portuguese man. I remember talking about this, this passage actually with him in English class. My, I think it was my senior year of high school. And he said, when, when you read this passage, don't you think that that was Jesus doubting? Does that mean that, you know, he then sinned and he just was, you know, loved to just kind of push your buttons. You know, he read me as this little Christian kid. And, um, a lot of people have looked at this passage and seen, you know, there's so many stories of people giving their lives for Jesus in like, you know, bold confidence and just stepping out of faith. And people look at this as this place of real like weakness of Jesus. Is he doubting God? Is he, is he just like, is he afraid? Is Jesus, does Jesus have fear? Is he giving into fear? All these things. I mean, I don't think so. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't sin. Jesus himself said, don't worry. So I don't think it was worry. I don't think it was fear. I don't think it was doubt. I think it was just, he's human. And he knew what was coming. I mean, the, the brutality of what he was going to experience physically. But more than that, apart from any other person that has suffered for the sake of Jesus, Jesus had to do it without his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had to move into this place where he knew 
the spiritual separation that was going to happen and then the wrath of God being poured out on him, that his father would forsake him. And so Jesus has done that so that we never have to do it, whatever might come our way. But as Tim Keller says, Jesus was forsaken so that we never have to be. The invitation is that we can always be with God, and that is the only way to do his will. And so look at the end of the passage. Jesus comes out of this encounter with his father, this amazing, you know, just kind of agonizing prayer session. And now he's ready. To the point where he can heal someone that's just persecuted him. And he's, he, he's just not ever calling down. At any moment, Jesus said, he could have called down all these angels to defend him. And yet he submits until the point where he dies. So I think that the point that we have to understand today is that you can't do God's will without God. That is the why of prayer. We pray because we need God. We don't, we don't pray because prayer is this thing that, that you know, changes stuff or that prayer is the thing that's going to, it's God that changes things. It's the, the power is not in prayer. The power is in God. Prayer is just a word to describe our connection to God and how with God we are. You know, if we're doing what God is doing, not trying to draw God into something that we're doing. You can't do God's will without God. And so prayer is just the means to be with God. That's the point. Right? Now, you can look at the Bible and say, okay, there's all this stuff. You know, we know what to do with God's will, right? You love your neighbor and you, you know, you, you, uh, you, you give money to a church and uh, you, you say nice things to people. And, you know, you're supposed to tell people about Jesus. I mean, all these things to do, right? It's hard to believe sometimes that you can't do God's will without God. I mean, couldn't I just, you know, Colin's in the front row, Colin, you look great today. You know, I love that shirt, you know. I'm just doing, doing God's will here, right? I'm, I'm, I'm loving on Colin. Is that really true? I mean, you guys, are you guys buying this? Let me back it up a little bit. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Which means that if you're going to do anything that's going to have any spiritual significance or any lasting value for eternity, it has to be done with Jesus. God's saying this, not me. But it feels a little hard to swallow. And I think there's something that we can't see that is going on in the spiritual realm anytime that we're, we're interacting with what God is doing. I mean, th- there's a mystery here. One small piece of that is timing. I have two boys. We also own cars, which means there's this amazing encounter anytime we have to put them in their car seats. It's often not a fun experience. Now, when I unbuckle my son, I want him to get out of the car seat. I'm, I'm like, yeah, take, you know, get out, you know, unbuckle him. Yeah, help, you know, please get out. But I don't want him to do that when it's time to go in the car seat which sometimes happens. You see how, I mean, that's the will of his father, right? But it's different in different places. The timing is everything. Jesus is always in relationship with his father, doing things that are commanded in the scripture, but knowing how and when to do them through the Holy Spirit working in him. Now, I'm not trying to say that, like, you shouldn't, you know, just 
do what's in the Bible, but there's something we have to take Jesus' word for and say, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's with God that we're doing his will. If we're forgetting him and forgetting that relationship, you know, our ability to accomplish what he's wanting us to do, it diminishes. So obviously there's clear things from the Bible about what we're supposed to do, but the more that we're in line with God in prayer, in this, in this intimate relationship with him, the more we're going to be able to do what it is that God is saying we can do. Let's have the band come back up as we close. Um, Prayer is such a mystery. I mean, why do we pray? What what, what good is it doing? The answer is that we can't do anything without God. We can't do his will without him. We have to have him with us. And so more than just, okay, I've got to pray to make things happen or to see God do things around me. It's saying, God, you know, your word is my life. I have to have you. And that's what we see in this, in this passage of it's the why of what Jesus is doing. He's got to have his father to, to complete this task that he's put before him. It's interesting that America is the land of power, not just the land of opportunity. Right? We have the, you know, the strongest military in the world. We have more nukes than anybody else. You know, we, we have individually, we have so much power about being able to move to different locations and you know, change jobs and, you know, I mean, we have so much power, you know, more than probably any country has ever known and so much ability to do the things that we just want to do in our lives. But what God's saying in this is that without, without him, without his power, we really are powerless. And that's what, that's the why of prayer. You know, if you're ever wondering, I mean, you know, why should I bother, you know, getting up in the morning early and, and praying? I mean, it's, it's because we want to see the power of God come. Without God, we, can't, we can do nothing. It's with God that we can do the impossible. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I just want to take a few minutes and um, ask you what is holding us back from prayer. You know, maybe it's something that I've shared today, something that's been difficult about the goodness of God in your life uh, and reconciling that with your situation. Maybe you just sense like you just haven't been convinced about the value of drawing, drawing near to God and believing that he'll actually draw near to you. So Lord, we just, you know, we don't want to make prayer an idol either. We just, it needs to be all about you. I just pray you'd speak to each one of us as we have a few minutes just to kind of wait on you here for what it is that you're saying or what it is that you're calling us to in this next, this next season of life, Lord, today, this week. So I just want you to take a few minutes. If you have a journal, you can pull it out. We're going to take about five to seven minutes of just listening to the band play. You're, and I'm just inviting you to say, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to in terms of prayer? Then I'm going to come back up and we'll kind of wrap that up and then we'll just sing one last song to close the service today. So just be asking the Lord, hey Lord, what is it, what, what do I need to hear from you that's going, to, that's going to help me to motivate to draw near to you as Jesus did so that he would be filled with power to do God's will?